tired of being tired all the time? Have you wondered if there's got to be something more out there? Hi, I'm Kristen Latini, and I started asking myself these very same questions a few years into working mom life. And the type A scientist in me could not let it go. So I got curious, and the Build Your Own Fairy Tale podcast was born. Join me each week as we dig into different ways to do life, whether that's decluttering your closet or starting a side hustle. Together, we'll uncover steps toward the ultimate fairy tale. So consider yourself sprinkled with fairy dust, and let's go. Welcome back to another episode of Build Your Own Fairy Tale. As we are in full-blown holiday season now, sweets and treats are top of mind. And for me, I'm a self-proclaimed chocoholic. So my interest was piqued when today's guest, Lindsay Tarnoff, chose to build a business out of her love of chocolate. Lindsay shares how chocolate is the perfect vehicle to save the world. You know how when you learn someone's story, you're that much more empathetic or interested in knowing them? That's how Lindsay felt about chocolate and its deep, complex history. Lindsay today is the proud owner of Laughing Gold Chocolate and is redefining women's and mom's roles in business when, even before COVID, she started bringing her kids to work unapologetically. She shares how she found two best friends and business partners, and they are building their own little sister village and chocolate empire side by side. Real quick before we meet Lindsay, this episode is sponsored by Commit 30. If you're serious about building your own fairy tale and putting the amazing advice we hear on the show into action, I have to tell you about Commit 30 Planners. I've been using these planners for three years and love that they break progress down 30 days at a time. You'll find motivational quotes sprinkled throughout and each month prompts you to reset and refocus your intention. Plus, they have beautiful colors and fun stickers. Their holiday sale is going on right now, so check out the link in the show notes and let's commit to making 2023 the best year yet. Lindsay, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I think I'm more excited because <laughs> anyone who knows me knows that I am a chocoholic and we are talking about my favorite topic of chocolate today with you. So <laughs> can you start by sharing with us your career journey and how you ended up opening this fabulous chocolate shop? Yeah. I mean, my career path is a little bit random and all over the place, but I will say it started when I was an undergrad and I was studying a conglomeration of subjects because that's just how my brain works. And I had to write a capstone paper. I was working with a history professor studying Spanish and government and then a minor in Latin American studies. So what I came up with was the history of the morality of chocolate. And so this is really what jump-started everything. I had always loved chocolate. I had always loved baking, but had never considered a career in it. That being said, I had no idea what I wanted to do, as you can tell by that like random mixture of topics that I was studying. So when I started to understand the history and the story of chocolate, it just kind of fell into place. And I was actually working at a psychiatric hospital at the time, when I was in college and somebody said, what are you going to do when you grow up, quote unquote, and when you graduate? And I said, I don't know. I'm going to, I'm going to save the world with chocolate. And I didn't know what that meant. I still don't know where that came from, but it stuck with me. I mean, if you go on our website, you'll see most of that story. But to this day, I want to change the world and chocolate is, I mean, what better vehicle to, to change the world with than chocolate? One of my questions was, well, why would you choose chocolate as the vehicle? And I guess it's because it's just so globally lovable. <laughs> it's globally lovable. There is a fascinating story to it. I've always loved it. And I mean, in some ways, chocolate chose me. 
um, in a weird way. But yeah, it just kind of fell into place. How did chocolate choose you? So I like I said, I've always loved chocolate. And this is what this is what I was researching. And I, I'm from Rhode Island. So I had the incredible opportunity to do some firsthand research at Brown University and was looking at primary documents of centuries old documents in Spanish and a variety of languages and was absolutely fascinated by what I learned and the ancient story of chocolate. But I think also because there is so much in chocolate, it is an incredibly complex food. And I mean, I can use chocolate to teach students about chemistry. I can use chocolate to teach my community about social justice and to have conversations about social justice. We can talk about history using chocolate. Like there's so much that it encompasses. And I don't know. I feel like it just chose me. I'm happy. (laughs) I get to eat chocolate every day and it's really good chocolate too, but it just, it fit. Wow. And are there any high points of that ancient story of chocolate you can share with us? Or is it just too, too complex? I'm intrigued. (laughs) I mean, there's so much there. I think the thing that stands out to me in part, because this is my interest, but also We just finished October and I was doing a lot of magic of chocolate tastings. And so really focused on sorcery and witchcraft and how chocolate was used for medicinal purpose, but also what some might consider magic. And so really fascinated with how that intertwines with the story of women and how women have been treated throughout history. Who knew chocolate was so deep? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. <laughs> All right. So then what were the first steps you took to actually bring this vision to life? Once you're like, chocolate's going to be my vehicle. What were those first few things besides eating some yummy chocolate? Well, yeah, trying chocolate throughout my life has absolutely been, you know, a professional endeavor. <laughs> but I think, you know, I said, I'm going to save the world with chocolate, but I didn't know what that meant. I was 20, 21 years old. And I had to really discover, I don't know, like life, I guess. And so I did a number of different things. I worked with immigrants in Washington, D.C. for a couple of years. I moved back to Rhode Island. I worked at a university. I worked at a nonprofit with youth in some marginalized communities. And when I was working in that nonprofit, which I loved, I had the opportunity to set up a business at a what's called a kitchen business incubator in Rhode Island. And that opportunity popped up and it just kind of felt like if I don't start this business that I have been dreaming and concocting in my head now, then I'm never going to do it. So all of these times when I was working in these kind of random jobs, I was writing a business plan. I was doing research. I was trying lots of chocolate, like I said, because it was in the back of my mind that I wanted to start a chocolate business. I just didn't know exactly what it would look like. And then when this opportunity came up, I could not pass it up. And so I jumped at the chance. I was working a lot of hours at this nonprofit, but was able to go into this community kitchen at one o'clock in the morning or you know whatever time kind of fit my schedule. This was pre-kids. So I just started practicing making truffles and coming up with different recipes. 
Can you share what exactly is a kitchen business incubator? Yeah, so a a business incubator is essentially, I don't know if I'm going to get the exact terminology right, but from my perspective, it is an organization or its own business that helps small startups to file the right paperwork and kind of understand what it means to navigate the system of starting a business because there's a lot that goes into it. And so this particular organization called Hope in Maine was focused on any business related to the kitchen. Okay. Yeah. That seems like a really nice resource to have. Do you have to pay to be part of that? Yeah. You pay to, and they've changed the model. This has gone back seven or eight years at this point. So I don't know exactly what the model looks like now. But I think at the time, like I would pay to use the commercial kitchen. I think I paid for, I don't know, by the hour, you had to be a member. And then there were certain workshops that were free. There were certain workshops that you had to pay for and they had different resources. And again, it's all changed now. And I'm sure every business incubator looks a little bit different, but they had, of course, their executive director and then somebody who had worked with marketing, somebody who worked with market, somebody who worked with you know different components of the business. You're just making me think that if any of our listeners have these ideas and they can find one of these niche incubators, that seems like a really good resource or team to have on your side. Absolutely. And there are other, you know, there's SCORE, there's the SBA, there are all sorts of other public resources, but yeah, a business incubator can be super, super helpful. Okay. Great. So then at what point did you say or feel like you're ready to move out from the incubator and out on your own? So that actually also just kind of fell into place. Like I said, I really loved my job at the nonprofit, but I had just gotten married and my husband had finished his graduate work and we were looking for a new place to live. And I mean, I was kind of thinking about finding a brick and mortar in Rhode Island anyway. So it probably was the right timing regardless, but we moved. Uh, We moved from Rhode Island to upstate New York, where we are now in Rochester, which is an amazing place to raise a family and also an absolutely incredible location that's really focused on small businesses and local food and really good food. So it, it fit. And and that's a whole other story that I'm sure we'll get to. That was my thought process at the time, was that I could follow my dream of changing the world with chocolate and also have a baby and kind of be a stay-at-home mom and follow my career path at the same time. Well, let's dive into that now because was that a, I mean, financially it's one decision, right? Do I go this route? But then emotionally, what was going through your mind and what was the conversation like with your husband? to say, okay, we're at a crossroads. Do I follow the dream or not? I mean, it was complicated. And of course, the way you remember it is different than what actually happened. (laughs) Of course. But but there were a lot of conversations and it was an emotional time to leave Rhode Island. That's where my family was. That's where all my friends were. And we moved to Rochester and I didn't know anybody at the time. And all of a sudden I'm pregnant and going through this huge transition in my life you know, I left a job that I loved. My husband and I had many, many conversations about it. And I did actually, I started teaching. I had a number of other part-time jobs in Rhode Island that I didn't mention. I started teaching here in Rochester in order to, you know, have, have some income. And it's the country's oldest public market, like farmer's market. 
that's here in Rochester. And so I was able to rent a kitchen in that public market and just kind of, you know, for a year or nine months, whatever it was, see how it went. So while I was teaching on the side, I was, I continued to make chocolate. I had a little bit more flexibility. I had a tiny little, I wouldn't even call it a brick and mortar, but like a little vending area and just kind of was testing out the waters to see if I could make it to see if there was an interest in ethically transparently sourced chocolate. And there was. And so after, you know, these months and months of working hard and evidence, (laughs) then I decided to go for it. And again, there were a lot of conversations that my husband and I had, and part of it was financial. Part of it was emotional. Part of it was, if I don't do this now, I'm never going to do it. Yeah. I have so many questions because I feel like that was a lot in nine months or less. So first off, had you made even a dollar when you were still in your incubator in Rhode Island before you were like, let me test some in Rochester? I was probably breaking even to making a tiny little bit of money. Okay. So you were selling. Yes. Oh, yes. I was selling. Okay. So you were incubating, selling. Then you moved. You're pregnant. You get a job and you're doing this on the side. I mean, gosh, hopefully it sounds like you didn't have too terrible of a pregnancy, but you could do all this. <laughs> so then you open up this in the market. Did you take a break when the baby came? Well, yes. I mean, I, I was figuring out how to do that. I had no, like I babysat when I was in high school, but I had no concept of what it was like to have a newborn. I, I just, I hadn't been around that many newborns as an adult. I knew it would be hard, but I didn't fully comprehend exactly what that meant. Anybody knows until they're in it. You're like, wait a second. <laughs> so, I mean, I was fortunate. My parents were up here. My husband was doing a postdoc at the time. So he actually had, I think it was three months off, which was so fortunate in so many ways. So I made what I could, but it was limited, you know, while he hung out with a baby and then he would actually go and sell at the markets where I was selling for me. So he's no longer doing that kind of thing um, with Laughing Gull, but it was a huge help at the time. Yeah, definitely having that partner. And then because you mentioned the name Laughing Gull, I'm just curious if there's any fun story behind how you came to name the company Laughing Gull Chocolate. It was a tribute to my grandmother who loved chocolate. I grew up baking with her. She loved birds on the ocean and Laughing Gull is clearly a a seabird. And she happened to pass away the week that I was doing all of the paperwork for the business. And so we came across the name Laughing Gull. I knew of seagulls, but Laughing Gull is a very particular kind and it sounded happy and she made people happy and hopefully our chocolate makes people happy. So it fits. That's beautiful. (laughs) Love that. Thank you for sharing. All right. So now you've got the baby, you're in the market, you're selling what you can. At what point do you decide to take it to the next level and open up your own storefront? So that had actually started even before the baby was born because my lease was running out and the space was not, I mean, it was great for what I was doing at the time, but it was not a long-term space and it was only a year lease. And so the deal was, I was going to see how it went. And then if it was going well, if I still wanted to do it, then I would look for a longer term situation. And so I I started looking for, I mean, I must've been very, very pregnant. I don't remember exactly what the timing was, but I started looking for a space 
for a brick and mortar. She was born in July, so it must have been early summer. And ultimately signed the lease, you know, again, still not fully comprehending. And I was so sleep deprived at this point, (laughs) but um, I grew up with the belief for better or for worse that I could do anything. And so I just kind of put my mind to signing that lease and to opening up the brick and mortar and started doing it on my own. It didn't last on my own, but I started doing it on my own. I do know you've since taken on some partners in this journey. So you started on your own. When did you think to yourself, huh, maybe I could do this better, more efficiently or whatever the reason was if I had some partners? And then how do you go about finding the right partners? So I don't know that it was that clear of a thought process. I knew I needed help and I knew I needed help both because I was lonely. I mean, I I had made some friends, but you know, being a new mom is lonely to begin with. And especially when you're in a new place. So I knew I needed help in kind of two facets of my life. So I started going to what they called a breastfeeding cafe, but essentially just a support group and as much as newborns will play, but like a, a group for new moms. And it was right down the street from my house and I met some incredible people And so there was one day when a couple of us got together, when we went on a walk and I asked this one mom what she did. And she said, well, you know, right now I'm a stay at home mom. I left my job, but I am looking for an opportunity where I could bring my son to work. And I said, hmm, you know, I already knew that we had somewhat similarly aligned values. We had somewhat similarly aligned parenting styles So very shortly after that, she started working for me as a part-time employee. It was, you know, all I could afford at the time. And she worked for me and became one of my very best friends. We became close right away. Our kids just, you know, as much as newborns can, they adored each other. (laughs) So we opened together and the two of us, you know, we're putting up shelves and making chocolate and, you know, doing all sorts of things either wearing our babies or while our babies napped or while one of us took care of the kids, the other one would go into the kitchen and prepare the chocolate and really establish this great partnership. And shortly thereafter, a neighbor who also had a baby right around our baby's age, she started coming into the shop. She was on maternity leave at the time and she just came in every day and hung out and started talking business and she had her MBA. So all three of us became really good friends and our babies started to really get to know one another. You know, over time, they were probably, I don't know, nine months old at the time. And we were doing well, Laughing Goal was doing well, and we needed more. And so we started to have lots of conversations about what that might look like. And we formally became business partners in the July of 2018. So I had been officially open as a brick and mortar about six months or so. Wow. That is just amazing. Like one, how you started out, chocolate found you, you were looking to meet people and sort of use this business as a way, right? To do that. And then finding these like soulmates who maybe didn't start out with the like chocolates my path, but together you guys have made it happen. I think that's an amazing story. Yeah, pretty lucky. (laughs) (laughs) So another question then about this whole helping women and helping each other. 
You've also said that chocolate is helping redefine women's and mom's roles in business. So can you share more what you have to say about that? Yeah, I don't know that it's chocolate sharing, uh, redefining women's and mom's role in business as much as we as chocolatiers and chocolate business women are. And in a large part by doing a lot of what I just talked about, because we brought our kids to work with us unapologetically. They would at times come to meetings with us. The three of us as women really strive to lift each other up. You know, so often, unfortunately, you hear about women kind of fighting and being called bossy. And there's actually a group here of female entrepreneurs that is called bossy, kind of like retaking, like owning that name. And so I don't know that it's chocolate, although chocolate, I think, is the perfect vehicle for redefining women's role in business. But I think it's really us just raising our kids together and helping to run a business together. Even before it was the necessary thing to do during the pandemic, we brought our kids to work with us. And isn't that cool that your kids had that front row view, right? They were literally in the shop watching their moms put the shelves up, make the chocolate, make the sales. What an amazing viewpoint they have. I hope so. I hope that's how they see it. And now how old are your kids now? Are they still coming to work with you? Yeah, so they are five and the three of them just started kindergarten. I have a two and a half year old as well. So they were coming to work with us until about a year ago. They were four years old and they just needed a lot more. We have a very small shop. And they wanted to get out and they wanted to meet other kids and they wanted to, you know, run around and and it wasn't working quite so much anymore. So we kind of figured out a schedule that worked for us. I think we all worked two or three days of the week and then we all work on Saturday. We still would hang out with each other's kids so that we could get work done. And again, just like figured it out amongst the three of us. I love that little the built-in group support system for all things life, business. <laughs> That's fabulous. And lucky that you are to have those, those women in your life. Absolutely. I don't know where I'd be without them. <laughs> Amazing. So what's a piece of advice you wish you had when you were first getting started? This is such a hard question. <laughs> I mean, I think in a way it's trust the process. You're going to make mistakes. Like even if I knew everything that I knew now, I would still make mistakes. They would just be different mistakes. And so I think trust the process, believe in yourself. And maybe here's a big one. Don't be afraid to ask for help, which I need. I still need to remind myself. And then when you do remind yourself, you're like, oh, if somebody asked me for help, I'd be flattered. I would love to help them share this, whatever. So you have to do a little self pep talk. I love that. That's great advice. <laughs> what dreams do you have next for Laughing Goal and your fairy tale with chocolate here? Oh, so many. (laughs) We're still trying to change the world with chocolate for the better. And so I think people think about chocolate in all different ways. You, of course, grow up with chocolate. But I think in my head, I want to help people kind of reframe what chocolate looks like and what chocolate tastes like. Because what you get at the grocery store, there might be elements of chocolate in there, but it's not it's not like the really delicious, high quality chocolate that I drool over all the time. And 
the chocolate, you know, craft chocolate makers, small chocolate businesses so often use ethically sourced and sustainably grown chocolate. And so I want the whole world to understand where chocolate comes from and what it can taste like because it's so good. I see a children's storybook in your future of sharing with the world about this. Yeah. <laughs> but speaking of, if you could be a fairy tale or fictional character, who would you be? I think what comes to mind when you say that, my daughter is a Moana fiend. So I love her story and I love how strong and independent she is. So maybe Moana. I also am in an Outlander kick. I don't know if you know Outlander. I know of it. I haven't gotten into it myself. (laughs) Yeah, it's, you might want to, I mean, it's amazing. (laughs) You might want to stay away with from it because it's hard (laughs) to get away from it. Okay. (laughs) But I love, I mean, I've kind of alluded that I love history and strong women. And so I really like the, the main character, the narrator, Claire, in those books and TV shows. Okay. So Claire and Moana. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And then you've also sort of touched on too, but I'm always curious for working women, how you balance that work life. So bringing the kids with you is one aspect, but then how do you shut down from chocolate world when you're at home so you can be present with your kids or what are those things that you try to to do for yourself and your family? It has been a journey. The first few years, I was not very good at that at all. And really started to become burnt out, you know, and again, I think the pandemic did not help at all, but we now we were able to hire somebody who is managing all of our production, which has helped immensely. And so that has helped. And then really setting boundaries for myself and for ourselves. So the three of us, I again mentioned that we're best friends and business owners and our kids are essentially like, I don't know, siblings or close cousins. And so we are connected in so many different ways. And for a very long time, we would have just one chain of communication that included business and kids and personal and like all of the things. And that got so overwhelming. So we put, again, boundaries on that. And so we now have one channel for personal communication, one channel for all business things. And then saying, okay, I'm not going to work after X time at night. Sometimes I'll have to, and sometimes I'll have events and tastings and, you know, whether they're virtual or in person, but I'm going to turn my computer off and shut it down and being very clear about that with myself, with my husband and with my partners. I like that. So it's not just setting up sort of the rule, but then it's letting other people know. So you're then you're not worried about the expectation of, well, they're going to be nervous if I don't write back. Exactly. All right. That's something I can get on board with. One more business side thing here. What is one actionable step that our listeners can take if they want to start chasing that dream? If you know you started at that incubator, what's something, an actionable tip they can take today? Well, and so like I said, I think there are other, whether it's an incubator or some of those public resources, there are so many people and individuals out there who want to help and who want to support small startups, especially now. So absolutely reaching out to some of those resources and some of those people. I'm a list maker. So I would say like make a list, write down every action that you need to take in order to make 
something happen and then get it done. Like one thing at a time. Sometimes I'll look at a list and it's so overwhelming or I'll look at the big picture and be like, I can't start a business or I can't change the world or, you know, whatever the case may be. But if you just take it one step at a time, even if there are setbacks, you can make things happen. Uh, I knew I loved you because of chocolate, but I also love you because of your list making. (laughs) (laughs) Please share more with our listeners about Laughing Gull, how they can find you, support you, taste the chocolate. And also, I'm curious, do you make all the chocolate in your own brick and mortar? So we are primarily chocolatiers. So we make truffles, we make sauce, we make bark, we make all sorts of different confections with as many local ingredients as possible and then ethically and transparently sourced. We also sell craft chocolate bars, pre-made bars made by other craft chocolate makers that have values aligned with ours. So, I mean, again, all ethically sourced, no labor that has been exploited, all sustainably grown. That sourcing part is really important. And then we do tastings with all of those items. So we do a lot in our small little brick and mortar. Great. Well, how can our listeners find it? Can Do they have to be local? Can they buy it online? Please share more. Yeah. So local, we do have a brick and mortar in Rochester, New York, but you can also find us and we ship all over the country and some other countries outside of the U.S. as well laughinggullchocolates.com. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. It should be easy to find. I think it's laughinggullchocolates for all of those. If you go onto our website and make a purchase, you can use the discount code fairytale and you will get a discount for all of our products. Amazing. Thank you. I'm very excited about that. (laughs) But Lindsay, thank you so much for being here. This has been a wonderful conversation. I am that much more excited about chocolate. So thank you. My waistline does not thank you, but <laughs> dark chocolate's good for you. <laughs> All right. We'll stick to the dark chocolate, but thank you so much for sharing. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. How sweet of a story was that? Chocolate found her and then she made and found this like sister tribe to grow her business and raise their kids together. I love it. Here are my top takeaways. Number one, don't overthink it. Lindsay shared how some of the seemingly random points of her journey all just came together and allowed chocolate to find her. Even though she didn't know how, she had this thought of save the world with chocolate and she didn't lose sight of it and just kept taking steps to test and evolve. Number two, yep, it can be a lonely road, but starting your own business can also be a great way to make friends. Lindsay and her two best friends are now business partners and that's a testament to exactly that. Number three, take advantage of the amazing resources that exist today. There are so many books, people, and groups that want to support women and small businesses. You just need to reach out. And bonus takeaway, no need to fret about those extra treats this holiday season if you are eating some delicious dark chocolate. If only it were that simple, right? But seriously, Laughing Gull sounds like a delicious treat to share with someone this holiday season. Check it out and don't forget to use coupon code FAIRYTALE for a discount on your purchase. If you know someone who may benefit from this episode, please share it with them. And don't forget to subscribe or follow this podcast wherever you are listening so you never miss an episode. We have some amazing guests lined up to close out the year and you're not going to want to miss a single one. Last but not least, thank you for listening. I know you have so many things on your to-do list and it means the world to me that you choose to spend some of that time with me. I'm not giving up on my dreams and I hope you won't either. I'm Krista Latini and this is Build Your Own Tale.
When I set out on my solopreneur journey, I wanted to be the most organized and professional without spending a lot of money. Sound familiar? That's when I discovered a customer relationship management platform called 17 Hats, a game changer even if you're a newbie without tons of clients. Here are three quick reasons why I love 17 Hats. Number one, it allowed me to replace my scheduling tool. Hello, one less subscription to pay for. Number two, I can effortlessly send quotes, contracts, and invoices, helping me look super professional. And number three, magical workflows that allow me to automatically send emails and reminders without being tied to my inbox 24-7. The best part is they've got a free seven-day trial so you can check it out firsthand. And if you decide to purchase, here's the best part. Use code FAIRYTALE for a 50% discount off your first year subscription. So head on over to 17hats.com and check it out. Here's to simplifying and making things more magical.